way you do it You play the guitar on the MTV That ain't working, that's the way you do it Money for nothing and your chicks for free Now that ain't working, that's the way you do it Let me tell you, damn guys ain't dumb Maybe get a pistol on your little finger Maybe get a blister on your thumb We got to install microwave ovens Custom kitchen deliveries We got to move these refrigerators We got to move these color TVs What a tune. Sadly, we're not playing it for the best of reasons, though. Uh, earlier this week, the mobile networks, including Vodafone 3 and Air, confirmed that they will once again be increasing their prices. This is something that I was talking about on News Talk Breakfast on Wednesday. It happens every year for the last few years. So the mobile networks will look at the consumer price index that has been published the previous January and then they'll add an extra 3% on top. So Vodafone says that this is for the ongoing investments they make into their mobile and fixed networks as well as other products and services. But it does mean that by April of this year, your phone bill will be going up quite a bit. Uh, We spoke to Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie a few weeks ago on the programme. If you missed it, go to the News Talk app, search for Tech Talk and listen back to that episode because he had some great tips in terms of saving money when it comes to your uh, mobile uh, provider in particular. So it is definitely worth shopping around because there's no point in paying out big money if you don't need to. If you can get all of the requirements for a significantly cheaper fee, why wouldn't you? Uh, So that is my top tip. Go back, listen to that podcast and uh, take the advice of Dara Cassidy of bonkers.ie. Now, as promised on last week's show, our book club is here. Well, part of our book club is here. Uh, Cameron Hill, how are you? Not too bad. I hear Kira was publicly shamed, so she's not here. That's it. Oh my God. Look at you being a professional broadcaster. (laughs) Wowee. Uh, So yeah, this month's book is one that I chose. Uh, It's John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Uh, Now, this first came out in 2015. So it's an old enough book. But I wanted you guys to read it because the themes of it, I think, are as relevant today as they were when it first came out. Uh, And I'm also a huge fan of John Ronson. Have you read any other of his works before? I've never read him before, but um, I'm definitely going to. Mm. In a bookshop yesterday, and was between a book that I'm reading at the moment and The Psychopath Test, because I just, I really enjoyed what he just his his style and the flourish of the comic writing which we can get into later on but yeah he, he really is captivating he he really is. so it's basically like a series of essays if you've ever read anything in the new yorker it, it's that kind of style of mm. sarky insightful intelligent thought provoking essays pushed together in a book and the commonality is uh, the theme of being shamed publicly, as the title would uh, let you believe. Um, I absolutely loved this book, as I knew I would. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, what's your overarching thoughts and feelings on it? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't find it particularly uplifting and I thought mm. the resolution at the end didn't, like, it, it was still kind of dispiriting for me. Basically, the the solution is, well, if you're rich, you can get rid of this. But um, a really fascinating thought exercise in the nature of shaming and the nature of public 
discourse in the age of social media. I was saying to you before we came on air, this book was written 10 years ago at this stage, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. But it, it reads a lot like prophecy in how social media eventually develops into this dumpster fire. But um, it was it was fascinating just in terms of coming to terms with what the implications of what we do when we post online, whether we've made a mistake or we're criticizing slash attacking someone for making a mistake. Yeah. And I think the examples that are featured in the book were so intelligently selected because it shows the broad array of public shaming that can happen. Mm. And it also shows, I think, that nobody is really protected from it because you have people like one of the first examples is Ronson himself who you know these um, computer science nerds basically make a chatbot again they were ahead of their time impersonating John Ronson on mm. Twitter he doesn't like it he gets a bit stroppy about it there's a confrontation and it, it, this kind of back and forth as to whether or not he is right or wrong for disliking it as well as the reaction of his followers when he posts the interview with the computer nerds online. You know, it's the moral quandary, I suppose, of who's right in that instance. Then we get on to an author of a book who essentially made up some quotes that were attributed to Bob Dylan or people relating to Bob Dylan yeah. and was found out by a journalist who, again, had the moral quandary of do I call this out or not? And I find examples like that so fascinating because there have been very famous examples. Uh, Brian, uh, is it Brian Williams in the US, the NBC anchor? Yes. He was found out a few years ago. rocket helicopter thing in Iraq, yeah. He'd made up like incredibly detailed scenarios that just didn't happen when he was allegedly covering conflict zones. So this is the stuff we, I, I suppose my point is, the examples in this book it's not just one type of person that could be publicly shamed. I think the point of the book is to show that it could happen to anybody at the drop of a hat and how you deal with it uh, is very much based on your personality, your mental resilience, your family and your friends and the support circle that you have. It's such a nuanced thing, I guess. Yeah, I was trying to think of what's the closest or most high profile Irish example and the one that I I came to that isn't perfect was the fallout for Maria Bailey mm. after everything that happened to her and look it's a different case there there are various differences between what she went through or her transgression versus the transgression of the people in the book but uh, it definitely contextualised just how brutal that shaming would have been online for her and the stuff she would have gone through and the stuff her family would have gone through and just how awful it can be and how um, closed off you feel from society and being able to speak like the passage where Jonah Lehrer is apologising and he can see people not buying it on a live kind of feed yeah, reflected in the screen and people saying oh he's a joke I can't believe this he's a sociopath that kind of thing just really hit home for me but I suppose to get into how the book is written I thought it was really smart that it was in the hands of someone like John Ronson to treat this topic. His sort of gonzo journalism style really lends itself to and communicates the deeper message is that behind every profile you talk to online and every person you criticise, there's a person there. Yep. There's a human element. What's refreshing about how he writes it is he doesn't, he doesn't indict anyone 
any more than the others. He treats them quite equally. No transgression is worse than any other. And it just hits on that human element that at the end of the day, we are all humans and it's hard to grasp that sometimes on social media. We just assume they're virtual characters. I can't remember where I read it, but I heard that someone described social media as the most successful video game of all time because it essentially is a scoring thing for Mm. likes and followers. And the better you get at it, the more difficult it becomes in a way. But that human aspect is never lost in this book and really hit home for me. Yeah, me too. And something that I alluded to the day that uh, on our last book club conversation was just the notion of, I suppose, my own experience of social media. I've said on the show a million times now, I left Twitter in November of last year. But I'll never forget when I was 22 or 23, I started doing stuff on air here on Newstalk. So I used to be on with George Hook on a Monday. We'd talk about phones, we'd talk about video games and it'd be lovely. And there were two guys who just didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And they let me know they didn't like me on Twitter and they tagged me. And about 10 minutes before I'd go on air every Monday, they tag me and ask who I slept with to get on air or whose hyped up granddaughter am I? And then when I would go on air and talk about the phone or the video game or whatever, they would rip every single thing I said to shreds. Mm -hmm. They would go on to my Facebook, which was public at the time, and they'd find out where I went to secondary school and they'd make jibes about that. Or they'd go on to LinkedIn and see where I went to college and make jibes about that. And it was two people, but I found it so hard to deal with because it was the first thing I'd see in the morning and the last thing I'd see at night because it was on my phone. Mm -hmm. And... It was like, I remember I was still living at home at the time and I saw the day that they set up a boards form about me and I went over to my mum's bedroom and I was like, I'm going to tell Garrett, who was the editor at the time, that I'm going to quit because I don't want to do it anymore because it's just horrible. And that claustrophobic feeling of online bullying is horrific. But it's pathological in the way they do it in Mm. that they take every detail that you put online or that might be out there in the ether and they use that against you. It actually reminds me of that quote in Goodwill Hunting, I'll leave the expletive out, but where um, Robin Williams says, you you deigned to, you pretended to know everything about me because of a painting and you ripped my life apart. And that's, that's what social media does. There's a, it's a pathological obsession with every minute detail that can be used against you. And, there's plenty of instances in this book of how these people use that to attack someone who they feel from their own moral their own moral compass and the general moral consensus that someone is in the wrong and we need to take them down a peg or two. Yeah, and I found the way Ronson writes in this book captures every element of that so well. Hmm. And what I really appreciated throughout every single one of the essays or the profiles that he does of these people is that he kind of seesaws or rocks back and forth in terms of deciding whether the public shaming was justified or not. Or he try, he plays devil's advocate very well, I suppose, is what he does. And he details his own thought process. But to go back to what you were saying a second ago, it just reminds you that there is a human being behind every dickish tweet that you put out into the world. Mm. So I remember like when Pat Kenny started working here and I really liked him, like straight away really, really liked him. I thought, geez, the amount of times I've seen people on Twitter taking a slap at him. Yeah. Or when Ryan Tuberty was presenting the Late Late Show. And you know the people used to live tweet the Late Late Show and just rip it to shreds. Mm-hmm. And you think, geez, 
like that's somebody's friend or brother or dad. Or, you know, I, I kind of, I think social media made it too easy for us to disassociate human beings with the online commentary. Well, it just becomes Lord of the Flies yeah. in every scenario where there's always someone being burned at the stake because of something you mightn't even feel is morally questionable, but you just don't agree with. Mm. Like for all that, um, I was having this conversation with my friends when I was t- saying I was going to write this book. And one of them made the point that it's entirely understandable, yet remarkable, that for all the power she has in the world, Taylor Swift has rarely said anything political. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, you know, her brand and everything, but also she would be attacked on all sides and knows that because that's the nature of social media and you can never actually say the right thing, especially when you get to an elevated position. One thing that was thrown into sharp relief for me with this book is how do we, how do we manage shame? The shame is a powerful tool, but it's too often weaponized. And as Ronson talks about when he talks to psychologists later in the book, violence is shame turned into self-esteem. And you see that with people who are supposedly cancelled or attacked by the woke mob, that the backlash or the lashing out from them can be very severe and quite violent and volatile. But how do you use that for good? He mentioned that the speed sign that tells you your speed and if you're above or below, that gives you gives no one else that information just you but it's the idea of being seen to be speeding is enough of an incentive to stop and there are there are positives to that level of shaming and keeping people in check there has mm-hmm. to be some sort of moral code out there but i did i think far too often it it just descends into chaos yeah well, one of the conversations i had with a friend of mine recently is around the weight that some people give to the voices online and so like you're on air right and so if somebody says something to you in a YouTube comment or in a text or a WhatsApp note to the show whatever it is how do you weight that versus one of your friends or your family members going come here to me like and you know giving you actually constructive feedback because I have this dreadful habit of letting a text or a WhatsApp or a tweet or whatever it is ruin my day entirely. Yeah. When I know that if I met that person in the street, their opinion would mean jack all to me. Or they mightn't even say it to you. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. They have the protection of knowing that they're probably never going to meet you, that they can attack you from 50 miles away Mm. and let that sink and think about the destruction they've caused. That every potential tweet we send out is a potential nuclear bomb and can wipe out someone's confidence and really make them feel terrible about themselves. The Stasi analogy that he uses is really interesting towards the end of the book. And he uses that sort of old, if you resort to comparing something to the Nazis, his, it's uh, you lose the argument. His style of argument is great. Mm. I really enjoy it. And that he dismisses and says, look, I know, but then breaks down why he thinks something is applicable. But he mentions the idea of constantly being watched and that's what social media is and why people are following us and that everybody is tracking every word we say. But one interesting part of the Stasi analogy is that everybody who was an informer for the Stasi felt they were doing good Mm -hmm. and felt that everyone else was doing it and it was this commonality. So (laughs) there's a reason to be optimistic in all this that maybe it is people holding people who are don't necessarily get the book thrown at them in the real world, hold them to account in some way or form. But 
yeah, I'd like to see that optimism maybe manifest at some point. Yeah, the last line of the book, I, I like. I basically went through with a pencil and I have half of the book underlined of things that I just think were so profound or thought provoking. But the last line in the copy that I have is that the great thing about social media was how it gave a voice to the voiceless people. Let's not turn it into a world where the smartest way to survive is to go back being voiceless. And I feel... And it's not just about me. I know from other people that I chat to as well. But I don't share on social media half as much as I used to mm-hmm. for fear of being told that I'm a dope, if not worse, or for fear of it being used against me down the line in some way. Because so many of us have lived so much of our lives online now that if you were to scroll through to my first ever tweet in April 2011, God knows what junk I was talking about. Mm. And I think that notion and the threat of being cancelled has made, not even being cancelled, but just being the target of a pylon yeah. has made some people go, do you know what, lads? It's just not worth it. I'm going to back away here. Yeah, or not worth it. But again, so many of us in this industry and in other industries, whenever we felt, oh, there's a pylon here and there could be people out for us, there's been advice to, okay, go back through your social media, delete anything that's even slightly problematic because even if it was written by 12-year-old you, it will be used and weaponized against you. Mm-hmm. And that's a terrifying prospect because, you know, right now I'm hyper aware of what I'm posting on social media. But back then it was somewhat consequence-free. Yeah. <laughs> and it shouldn't be used to weaponize somebody. It's not legally binding and yet, it's still terrifying that it's out there. It's like knowing that there's a, a rat in the house, but not knowing how to find it. Yeah. I, I'm also intrigued by, I suppose, the thing that, there, there was a few times where I sat back and kind of laughed at the notion of this book, because a lot of the stuff that happened on social media where people were caught out by sharing things online or whatever, it made me wonder what do we all get from posting online? And I say that as somebody who puts up stuff up on Instagram stories every six minutes. So like I'm part of it, mm-hmm. but it's just what need is it fulfilling in us? And is it is part of that then why it hurts so much when we don't get the love, the adoration, the likes, the retweets, the little heart emoji things on Instagram? You know what I mean? Like it, it's obviously a deep uh, psychological and sociological thing within us mm. that we need to share we need to be loved we need to be told we're funny and then when that doesn't happen it's just like death by a thousand knives well I think in an in an ironic sense it's probably pushed the need for more privacy in our lives and to keep things outside of the zeitgeist mm-hmm. one thing that always strikes me about social media is for all it all of its emphasis on individuality and you being your own profile. Most of the popular things that I see people do are are group activities in terms of their online activity, such as sharing a petition for X, Y, and Z, or any other sort of, and I don't like to use the term because I know people's intentions are well-meaning, but slacktivist kind of principles. And the the public shaming and public pylon is part of that because it's a sla- it's you slapping yourself on the back saying, we did that. Mm-hmm. We took that person to task and aren't we great for doing that in the same way, sharing a petition or sharing some sort of charity organization's post on your Instagram story is, in your mind, just as good as actually going out and volunteering. And that's well and good and it scratches people's itches. But in the same way, 
I think divorcing yourself from your online persona is probably something that is worth doing at some point. It made this book has really made me revisit how I use social media, but also like again, it's incredibly prescient because the amount of public shaming and pylons for various different topics over the last while um, have become much more severe. And I think if Ronson wrote this book today, he'd be like, geez, where do I begin? <laughs> yeah. Like, and I remember I was on Off the Ball Breakfast with yourself, Jer, and I want to say Shane, maybe two years ago. And we were talking about um, Andrew Tate. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fell into a conversation then about QAnon and online conspiracy theorists and I suppose how people can be motivated and galvanised in online communities. And obviously they're both very negative examples, but there are brilliant examples of building communities online. And, you know, the friendships and the interactions that you can have online can be brilliant. And there's nothing to say that they're inauthentic. But I just think it's such a fine line between being part of something in the online world and then being part of a mob in the online world. Yeah. And who is there to police or help you navigate the, the differences between the two, if you know what I mean? Mm. No, there's there's no way of policing it. Again, we've become our own police and that type of shaming, Nonsen uses that analogy constantly, is our version of the stocks. Mm. We feel that someone has transgressed, transgressed and we're going to fling rotten fruit in, or there's no rotten fruit uh, reaction on Facebook yet or Instagram. Yes. But I feel like that's coming. That <laughs> yeah. might be coming. If you're listening, Elon, get that done. Um, but yeah, we, we've become our own moral police and that always that always ends badly. Yeah. It always ends badly. And anything that has that, as much as we mightn't trust the real authorities sometimes or they mightn't have our best intentions, when we're left to our own devices, it's not great either. Mm. Okay, so give me a star rating for So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. I think, I think nine, nine and a half. And mm. I only do that because I never give tens. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. Again, the resolution wasn't particularly, there was no sort of uplift at the end of, look, aren't we all human? It was kind of a, we solved this problem because we were able to bury this person's story. Because mm-hmm. um, they use a reputation building site. Um, but Fascinating. Definitely makes me want to read more of his stuff and more stuff on this more generally. Yeah. Well, I'd give it a nine as well. It's one of the most thought-provoking books in a good way. You kind of, like when I was going out for my runs, I'd find myself thinking about the essay I just read Mm. and mulling it over. And they're they're my favourite kind of books when you're trying to process and think about how you feel about it, which is a smart, it's a sign of your brain expanding, I suppose, which is a good thing. It's definitely a let it sit with you kind of book. Yeah. And it's great. And you've just got over that uh, public shaming of not liking hitchhikers, which was... uh, we don't talk about tough, that book on going. this show. Thank you for your support, guys. <laughs> uh, well, look, I would love to hear what you think. If you read it, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. If you haven't read it yet, again, it's So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. Uh, we will be back with another book club pick for you next month. It's Kira's turn to pick. So I need to find out what she's going to choose and we will announce it on the show next week. Uh, but for the moment, Cameron Hill, thank you so much. Thank you.